I'm Phil Mendoza with Alpha Bow Hunting. Welcome back to our show, To The Point. You going with the old Moscow mule? I'm going with the... You got some some vino, huh? <laughs> exactly. Nice. I thought this was a sophisticated podcast. Hey, hey man, we, it is. What are we talking about here? Hold it, on a minute. It, it is I, not a plastic cup. <laughs> I know. I don't think you're drinking a Moscow mule. Hey, man, how you been? Doing all right, brother. How's it sound? Is it, is it going to work? Yeah, you're good. You're good. So, well, I appreciate you coming on, man. I, I know we've been talking a long time for about getting together and doing some more stuff and when i when i sent you the text the other day you know it i appreciate you agreeing to come on and and i definitely have a bunch of questions to run by and ask you all right so but first off you know we're we're gonna be i'm gonna be uh releasing this as a audio youtube video as well as a um audio podcast and YouTube video. So for everyone that's listening, this is Chris Rowe with Rowe Hunting Resources. Uh, Chris, friend of mine, longtime friend, and previous contributor to the Alpha Bow Hunting Coaching Pyramid with the video we did, what was it, a year, year and a half ago, right? We talked about animal behavior, and yeah. um, that was a video we shot at the shop. But Chris, give the listeners and viewers a little bit of your background as far as your your history, your education, and kind of what you're doing now. All right. So, yeah, <clears throat> like most people, well, I guess, you know what? That's kind of funny. I just said I, these days you really can't say like most people you grew up hunting and fishing because there's a lot of people getting into hunting and fishing that um, didn't grow up doing it. So anyway, I did. I, I grew up in a rural community. Uh, my relatives had a dairy farm. And so my grandfather was also a wildlife conservation officer, game warden, upstate New York, Finger Lakes region. And so I grew up, he got me into turkey hunting and fly fishing, and my uncles were out hunting, and so I just tag along with them. And so just kind of got into hunting and fishing in a big way that way. Really started to play when I was a kid about calling, and I, I be, just became passionate about animal behavior and, and how they were communicating and why they were doing what they were doing. So I knew early on that I wanted to be a wildlife biologist and, and work in the world of wildlife when I grew up, so to speak. <laughs> and so that's the that's the direction I went. I, I was in the military for a little while, but I ended up getting out and, and finishing up my degree and while I was finishing up my wildlife biology degree, I, and it, I ended up in Colorado at Colorado state university. And it was one of those things where, you know, sometimes if an opportunity presents itself and you take it, sometimes those little opportunities that you don't think much about end up being life changing. Yep. And this is one of those things where, so I was just recently out of the military. This is my first, you know, year in school and here I am on the first summer break and no job. I'm like, you know, I, I've got a, I had a couple jobs, you know, while I was in college, but I was like, all right, this is my summer. I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. I probably ought to try to get a job doing something wildlife related and walk down the hall of, of campus. And, and here's this flyer post a job, you know, opening, looking for people that wanted to work on an elk study 
over by Vail. It ended ended up being the Upper Eagle River Elk Study, just uh, outside of Vail and around Vail and all the way down to Leadville. And yeah, my job was to spend the summers hiking around the back country of Colorado with a spotting scope and some radio telemetry gear, following elk and working with elk and watching and living with elk. And it just, it was incredible. So throughout my undergraduate career, my obviously got my basic wildlife biology degree, but I really started digging hard into some behavior stuff and you spend that much time. So, so the, the whole point of, of the elk study was to look at cow calf interactions. And so we would just go Monday morning, we would hike in with a, at that time we didn't have the, the, nice Kafaru packs and the good Sitka gear or the first leg gear. It was, you know, I was wearing my cotton fatigues and, and just crappy boots and an old Alaskan freighter frame backpack. And I think by the, you know, we would go in there for a full week. So by the time, you know, you got all the gear plus all the spotting scope and there was no carbon fiber back then, you know, everything had to weigh like 30 pounds. So I think we were going in packs are easily 80, 85 pounds. Uh, But we'd go in for the full week go in Monday morning, hike way the heck back in there, sit and observe elk all week, hike out Saturday morning or or Saturday afternoon. And then Sunday was just laundry and shower and grocery shopping and turn right around and do it again. So you can't spend that much time uh, sitting and watching cows and calves interact with one another and not hear them communicating. And then with my passion, I just really, started picking things apart in a critical manner and kind of putting two and two together on what I saw going on and who was talking, who was responding, what was the response, what was the behavioral interaction that led up to it, what was the resulting behavioral interaction afterwards. Um, so that's how I really got into the biology stuff. But but to, to bring it into what I'm doing now with row hunting resources, so <clears throat> again, being passionate about hunting, I was I, I was pretty good at it. I, I had some really good early on and not going into all the details, but I ended up being invited to be on, uh, the Primos hunting calls pro staff back when Will Primos owned the company. And back then the, the pro staff that he had put together was probably, I mean, it was absolutely the definition of professional staff. This was back when our job was to get the new calls, the new material that they were making. They would send it to us. Some of the prototypes they would send to us, we would test it. We would help tweak it. We would help perfect it. Then it would go back into production. Then we would they would send it to us. We would use it in the field. We were the ones literally on the first ground level of making sure these calls were actually working and they were doing what they were supposed to do. And, and we were the, you know, on the ground boots that were going to go out there and not sell the call what we were there to do is to help provide support. So we would do the seminars. We would do the educational stuff. If uh, say your shop, Phil, you know, you were going to you know carry a line of Primo's calls. Well, if you wanted a demo, if you wanted to have an explanation of how to work them, how to get to it, that's where I came in. I would come to your shop and I would work with you and get you up to speed on everything. And so now here I'm the guy that's supposed to give the seminars. And I've always been that critical I always look at things in a, a, with a critical eye. And so I always focus on that. So what factor? And I think we probably talked about that that last time. If, if someone's going to sit down and listen to me, flap my gums, 
I want to make sure that I'm not wasting their time. I, I want people to make sure that they're coming away with something solid. And so when I used to go to seminars, I would sit and listen to these people talk for an hour about their hunting stories, about all the great and glorious places they got to go hunt. And I'm like, why, why am I, why am I sitting here listening to you? I don't care about any of that. I, I thought I was coming here to, to learn something, sure. you know, and this is, we're talking, this is the late nineties, early two thousands. So we didn't have the internet really. There, there was no YouTube. There was no online streaming videos. Nothing. If you wanted to learn something, you literally travel to a shop like Phil's or back then it, it was Jack's sporting goods, big R uh, yep. farm and ranch stores would put these seminars or, let me put these seminars on. And that's how I communicated with people and, and talked with people. And so I always wanted to make sure that they had the, so what factor. And so there's only so many times that you can, there's only so many ways you can tell somebody how to blow on a, a mouth diaphragm or a, a open read style elk call before you're just like, okay, we've been here, done that. Okay. Let's, let's do something else. So I started incorporating a lot of the behavioral ecology, biology, vocalizations, communication, especially for elk, but also turkey, predator, that type of stuff. And people just loved it and started seeing really good success like I was. And so people wanted more of that. I was going just absolutely crazy for early to mid-2000s and doing seminars all summer, you know, sometimes Thursday nights. Every weekend I was doing seminars. I was doing the three-day clinics up in the mountains. It was crazy but it was still limited to a kind of an in-person type of deal um, until here we go with the internet and you get start get about 2010. That's when, you know what, putting a video on computer actually wasn't that big of a deal. It still was a little costly, but we could start actually doing some things. And so I said, you know what, I can reach more people. I can do maybe a little bit more, uh, with this education stuff and with this behavior stuff, if I start putting stuff online. And so here we are, we started in 2010, 2011, we built some educational modules, the row hunting resources website where people can go subscribe. And, and it's basically an online library of educational videos with a heavy focus, especially the elk stuff. It's a heavy focus on actual video of elk doing elky things so you can actually, anybody can flap their gums at you. And, and I can tell you what an elk is going to do or, or how they're going to behave or what they're going to say. But I want to put an elk in front of you in high definition with good audio. And you can say, okay, listen to what she does. Look who she was looking at. Look who responded. Look how they responded. Now let's talk about that vocalization and using that vocalization with a certain call for a certain purpose. And so there's a whole pile. I think we're about 50 hours worth of video in that right now. Um, and I've got a turkey module too in there. There's a deer one, but that doesn't have as much. Um, the elk is absolutely the flagship. And then the, the turkey's good for beginners. But um, so that's what we're doing now. And, and that's on the online side. And then, you know, Phil, I, I'm out here in Northwest Kansas now managing some properties for habitat. So for whitetails, turkeys, um, I'm managing that, ma helping trying to manage the herd. I'm running all the hunts out here and then doing also consulting for other landowners, helping them develop their habitat and their properties as well. I literally, that's literally what I got done doing today. That's why I'm, we're doing this at night now. Um, there's a buddy of mine um, that is possibly going to be buying several hundred acres out here. And he wanted me to kind of walk it with him, take, you know, give 
him my thoughts on it. And if he ends up buying it, I'll probably end up managing that piece of ground too, which should be a lot of fun. So that's what, that's, that's my world, brother. <laughs> well, and, and I appreciate the, the, um, intro with, with that detail, because obviously you and I have had many, um, conversations because my favorite animal to hunt's elk, my second's white-tailed deer, you know, and yeah. it's something that we can talk sometimes and go down different, different rabbit holes because I'm very excited as I, I, I wouldn't call myself a greenhorn on the whitetail scene anymore, but I'm not an expert at, by any means, you know, I just, I'm somewhere in the middle and hearing from someone like yourself that gets to work the land, gets to work with hunters and you're coming from a background of wildlife biologist, man, it's just, it's, it's a great resource. So selfishly, thank you for, for, <laughs> for, uh, for uh, entertaining my phone calls sometimes, you know, but also for what we're looking to do here is bring that perspective and um you know to tie it in so so before i i guess before i go off into what i'm wanting to get into rowhuntingresources.com is a great resource i've been on there for three or four years now and i tell you that the biggest thing i took from it is i'm not a i'm not what you would consider a polished calling person like competition calling person i that's not my that's not my interest right and I think most people, that's not their interest. Sure. Their, their interest is they want to get from point A, you know, A plus B equals C, simplified, and really understanding that a different call, different manufacturers, your sounds are going to be slightly different. But if you have the the tone and the, I don't want to say purpose, right? But it's the, your, your videos are very well um, articulated to demonstrate how this sound you know, is it equals this or it's going to generate that is what you're looking for from a strategy standpoint. It answers the question. Why, right. why am I going to do so? If someone tells you to blow a cow call or blow on a bugle or do this. Okay. You, I can, I can tell you what to do. And if you're a good, you know, mimic and yeah. you just, you're a good little soldier and you can follow directions and remember the directions that you can, you can do what I tell you, but if you don't understand why yeah. I'm telling you what to do, then when something changes on the landscape that you're not expecting, you're not going to have the ability to adapt, to change, to, to understand the underlying principles to where you can go, oh, I okay, it changed a little bit, but I understand what's going on. So I can change this way and I can move this way. What you're getting at is a lot of people, and, and this is absolutely true. Everybody wants to be an effective caller. We want to be able, if we're going to go out in the landscape and we're going to call, we want to be effective in our calling and we want to call an elk. I want to take it one step further and say, yeah, I want you to be an effective caller. I want you to be an efficient caller. Right. You, my philosophy is much different than what you get with a lot of other folks in the fact that I will, my, all of what I talk about is from a standpoint, largely removing testosterone completely out of the equation. Um, if you're dealing with a rotting bull, one day he, you might just give him one cow call and he runs you over. The next day you do the exact same thing and he couldn't care less and he's just ignoring you. What the, so get, forget about testosterone. What can we, what do we know about base level communication, base level vocalizations, the base level 
uh, interactions of animals that they're doing stuff in February, that they're doing in June and July, that they're doing in September, and they're doing in December. If you can get to those base ones, it doesn't matter what the testosterone is doing with that bull or the estrogen is doing in that cow. It's irrelevant. Now, we can play with it. But if you, if you can neutralize that, now you can tap into that real deep part of the brain where you're not, you're not, you are not limited by having to play to the emotion of the animal. You can literally go in and efficiently surgically tell them exactly what you want them to do. And so you don't have to call as much. You don't have to call um, as loudly. You don't have to get the animals fired up because most of the time now I may, I may start hunting a little private ground a little bit more, but most of the time I've been almost up until this point, um, nearly everything has always been on public ground over the counter units, maybe a limited draw unit here and there. But if you're out in public ground, you've got other people out there too. The more you get a bull fired up bugling, the more you're calling doing stuff. You're distracting attention and other people are going to hear it. Now you've got more competition from other hunters on the landscape. No, I want to be able to hear it, figure out where the animal is, move in and just essentially surgically tell that animal what I want them to do. So that way I can put them, hopefully put them where I want them, or at least have them respond to me vocally so I can keep up with them or I can locate them or whatever it is. But I, I want people to be not only an effective caller, but an efficient caller. And that's, that, that really mimics what we've been trying to coach on, on the yeah. alpha bow hunting side. So, and that's why I've been so excited to want to continue the process of the dialogue and just picking your brain from different directions, because what we do again, on the shooting side and on the archery side is trying to take things at face value and then take it a, a step or two further, right? Why, yeah. Don't settle for the, I'm going to shoot my bow through the chrono and I know I've got 75 pounds of kinetic energy at the chrono. Okay, what is it doing at 60 yards? That's what I need to know. Now I've got a, a expandable broadhead I'm putting into the equation. I'm losing more energy and I said, where, where am I? You know, most people don't know that. So trying to help people get to that is where we're doing the same thing. And, and I got to tell you, I, I listened to your episode with, uh, on Kafaro cast the other day with, you did with Aaron and so many, so many great topics there. Right. I, I was at that, at times listening to that episode and on the social media side, I was like, yes, that's, that, that's how I feel to a T in certain respects, but even on the private land side, I mean, you brought up private land, right? Here's my take. I hunt some private and I hunt some public. I've hunted in multiple states. I've hunted New Mexico, Kansas, Nebraska, Colorado, and Texas. And I'll tell you that specifically Colorado, last year I drew a, a limited uh, tag. I had three preference points, drew a tag, where I had access through private land to hunt BLM. And I hunted both properties, right? I tell you that the perception of some people with the private land thing Kind of drives me nuts because if people oh, yeah. haven't had the opportunity to hunt a lot of private land, they just assume the greens gra the grass is greener, right? And Correct. I, and I think what, the way you articulate it is like there's less pressure, but the animals are still animals. The behavior Correct. doesn't switch. They don't sw flip a switch when they jump a fence. Say we're on private property now. I don't have to act like an elk anymore, right? It's they they associate certain areas and regions with less pressure potentially. But they don't stop acting like animals. No. You know? And that's where that's one thing with me. It's like 
if if I ask a hundred people, hey, if I invited you to come hunt private land with me because I have access, what are they going to say? Yeah, ninety nine yes. of them are going to say yes, yeah. right? Hell yes. So for for so many people to have a negative stigma to towards hunting private land frustrates me because I think that as hunters we need a, we're trying to do the best job we can to get the best opportunities. They they have a negative stigma of other people hunting right. privately. When they get to hunt, that it's different. You're Correct, right, sir. Yeah. So so that's where I just want to say that I've hunted both. I've been yeah. successful on both. I tell you that when I've changed areas, like going to New Mexico, I hunted New Mexico. I think for five or six years, and I got one shot opportunity, and I hit a freaking branch, and that was after five or six years because it was different than hunting Colorado. But I tell you, after I kind of, okay, learned the different area, learned the different terrain, got it, got a feeling of how, how to approach different animals, then it started, I started filling tags, you know, in, in that area, in different parts of the state, mind you, not private land, and, yeah. and even in very, very difficult to hunt areas. So it's something that I, th- I think I've got a, f- a pretty good perspective on elk hunting from a couple states' perspective, and I'll tell you that... The difference that I see with public land and private land is at times there's better potential, whether it's trophy potential or whether it's not dealing with hunter hunter pressure on private land. But the elk or the deer or the pronghorn, they are what they are, you know. And I think yeah. that other than under, having a general concept that it's slightly less pressure potentially by certain areas, they're sanctuaries, if you will, because they've never seen a, a human – in this certain drainage or whatever the case is. Um, I just, they don't know that what's private and what's public. They don't, they don't have any freaking clue. No, it's, it's the same. I I always look at it and I equate it the same way of, you know, people don't have a problem with putting in for limited licenses, you know, putting in for a draw unit. Why are you putting in for a draw unit? Because you want less hunter pressure and, and a, and a, uh, either a larger population of animals or oftentimes you want to go hunt there. It's not a larger population of animals, but you have more bulls to cows, which means you might have an older age class uh, bull in there that you might be able to chase and you have less hunting pressure. Well, that less hunting pressure is going to be identical. What you see on a limited license hunt can be identical or even better than what you might even find on a private land hunt, depending where it is. I had an opportunity to work with a buddy of mine in New Mexico. This is the only time that I've hunted elk that I can remember on private land. And this was a New Mexico tag back in uh, this years ago. Um, he had just, he had, he had leased, it was a buddy of mine that, that outfits down there. He leases about a 30,000 acre ranch that is very well managed for cattle and elk. I mean, it's, it's exceptionally, it's an awesome property. Incredible. But he was also leasing this other, basically it was, um, yeah, it was 1,800, yeah, no, it was 1,800, a little over 1,800, so it was three square miles, okay? And he was leasing that for rifle hunting, and it was really good. This was going to be the first year he was going to pick it up for archery. But because he picked it up late, he didn't have any archery hunts booked, so he let me come in by myself i am by myself i'm the only one hunting three square miles of private ground right next to a highly managed thirty thousand acres of elk property i was walking on cloud i was like this is going to be incredible and like you 
I hunted all two weeks and I had one shot opportunity at the far back corner that I called an elk across that little corner and I just made a bad shot and missed him. Why? The people that owned the ranch at that time were cattle grazer, the cattlemen, and their belief was that God put grass on this earth for cattle to graze it. And so as soon as they could get the cattle in there, they saturated that thing and they would not pull those cattle out until it was almost down to dirt. And the fences were five and a half foot tall. They were drum tight and they went straight to the down, straight to the ground. So elk movement across them was a pain in the butt. There was no forage there. It was cattle. I mean, it was, ch- there were no elk there in September. Didn't matter that I was on private ground. I had less of an opportunity on three square miles of private that I had to myself than I would have if I just gone over to the public land on the national forest. Yep. Now, from a habitat <clears throat> standpoint, the reason why it was good in, in, in rifle was because at the end of September, down in that neck of the woods, they use what's called laydown fences. And so if you're not familiar with that, it's a, it's a cattle fence. It's, you know, five foot high here and, and a foot off the ground there. That wire is just drum tight. You could literally walk up that thing and climb over in the middle of the, of the wire, um, in, in the middle of the strand between the posts. But those posts, there's only, posts are only driven in the ground every so often. And the rest of the posts are suspended and it's just looped over these fixed posts. So, Long story short, at the end of the season, what you can do is you go on each of these posts and unloop it, and that entire fence will lay down flat on the ground. That's so that way the snow low doesn't break the fence and that elk movement and other wildlife don't break the fence. Come spring, they just come back up, stand the whole thing up, blink, 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 and it works great for cattle. The other thing, too, is at the end of September, those late September rains, most of the grasses that were in this area were cool season grasses, blue grasses, fescues. So the cattle would graze it off. They take all that dead material off and all the anything growing gone. And then the cattle are off. The fences get laid down. And here come a, a one, two, three, four different rainstorms over that whole area. All that new grass pops back. Now you've got three square miles that looks like an irrigated golf course. <laughs> you want to know where all the elk pile into? They all yep. pile in. So I, I say all that because unless you know what is going on with the private property, it doesn't mean it's, it's going to be heaven. Uh, and quite honestly, when I, was, when I did live in Colorado, I was very politically active in sportsmen's policy uh, and politic issues. I was... Very active down at the state capitol pretty much every week for one or two plus days on, you know, working at the legislative level on policy stuff and working with the DOW and agencies and, and organizations. And, you know, in Colorado, you talk about landowner preference or, you know, landowner tags and man, people get grumpy over that. And and they just know the landowner should be doing that. They shouldn't be able to get that. And they shouldn't be getting this, that and the other thing. But then out of the same breath, they're bitching and moaning that, well, that landowner's not letting anybody hunt. So all the elk are going down on that landowner's land and they're all staging down there and we don't have access to them. Well, okay, now hold on a minute. So either you don't like people hunting because like you said, and I guess I jumped forward, you know, people have this stigma about, oh, well, it must be nice. You you were, oh, you know, nice bull. Oh, okay. Nice bull. But you were on private. So of course you should have killed that. 
if you're going to chastise somebody for, or just was it cascade or just, or if you're going to talk down and mock somebody or just poo poo somebody that went over there and, and hunted on private land, then you better not be the same person that's going to go over there and bitch a fit about that landowner not having people on the land and, and all the elk piling into the property. Which one do you want? Right. Do you want people hunting the private land to create disturbance so the elk actually want to leave the private land and go back out on the national forest? If that's the case, if you would like to have equal disturbance on the private as you would on the public, then that means you have to have people on the private hunting. You should be applauding you, well, you, you hunt private land, good. Get the hell out of the public. It's less right. pressure on public for me. So it just, sometimes I think that the, the driver for the discussion around public versus private land is just nothing but jealousy. It's, it's, it's Very much jealousy so. with ignorance. And it's sad because done right, you want more people hunting on private land a, affect harvest, and B, to cre create that disturbance to where there isn't necessarily a sanctuary effect on the private versus the public. You yeah. want to have people in there. Now, granted, guess what? Life is not fair. We all don't get an equal opportunity to go hunt the private land. I'm sorry. It's the way it is. We're, I, I'm, I don't live in a... At the moment, we're, we don't live in a socialist freaking country. I know where it's going, but... At the moment, but it's going to be an, an unequal distribution on who gets to hunt the private ground. That's fine. Guess what? You might have, you might have a boathouse somewhere. I don't have a boathouse. I don't even have a boat. Maybe you go out on the lake and you go water skiing and tubing and fishing on the lake. Guess what? I don't. Yeah. So I think that's BS that you get to have that boat. Why can't I go out and use that boat? Why can't I come to your house, grab your boat and go take your boat, go fishing and skiing like my friends? Okay. It doesn't work that way. So we're going to have an unequal distribution on who gets to hunt private land. And if there's some people that want to pay for it, if there's some people that have family, if there's some people that bought the land and they, and they, they're, they're, have fee title and they're the ones working the ground and, and paying the tax nut on that thing. Well, guess what? They ought to be able to hunt that ground. And I think there should be people hunting that ground. And I just wish we could all just, you know, you, they all, hey, why can't we all just get along? I, but I do, I, I wish we could come together as sportsmen a little bit better and be like, dude, if you've got access to private land, because that means you don't have to be on public ground. rant that I wasn't expecting to get on tonight, but <laughs> no worries, man. No worries. Um, well, and I appreciate that, that insight too, because I agree with you. And it's something that as I've hunted public at times and seen elk just sitting on private, and as I've went through private and seen elk hunting, you know, change from my perspective as well, I agree with you. I think that as hunters get whether they're hunting private, they're going to move animals around. If you want better, you know, and, and it's that whole thing. It's like, oh, I hunt right at the edge of the private fence line. I hunt right on the public, right oh. at the, edge of the private fence line. Oh, yeah. Right? Keep talking. And, Keep and, talking. And yeah. it's it's one of those things that's like, well, hey, you know what? I just think that there's, there's room for everything that's legal. Everybody's going to have perspective of their own opinions. And, and I'm just with you that I just want to know that, you know, in 20 years or 30 years, my kids can still hunt, you know, 
And exactly. if it happens to be only based off of private land because that's the way things have went, man, it's going to be a sad day, you know? Yeah. But yeah. if we can learn to work with – and that's why I, I'm, I'm just a huge advocate to just hunting in general anywhere. That to me, I don't, I don't really like to asterisk or say, "Oh, I shot it on private." Oh, oh yeah, it, it's it's on public. You know, it's more brownie oh, yeah. points. You know what? And, and that's the thing is, I mean, because that's the thing, and, and this is what I talked about at the ISE show a little bit, and I've talked to a couple other people since then about um, it's this competing value sets, yep. and we have to understand that we all have different values for you know. Why do we hunt and, and what do we value in that experience? I used to, I still think it's funny, you know, people, there's some people that say, you know what, hunting is just about spending time with family and getting out and, and having fun with your friends. And it's all about the experience. And I'm like, you're full of crap. Yep. I, you can do that 365 days a year. Elk, camping, I've, right? got a, I've got a limited window. When I got that elk tag in my hand, that's to go kill something. Sorry, that is my license to go kill something. Yeah. I want to go play the game. Guess what, though? That's their value set, and this is my value set. There are other people, their value set, and, and this was hard for me to wrap my <clears> brain <throat> around. Um, and I and we talked about this. You know, last year was a challenging year for me on a on a bunch of different levels. Just um, psychologically, I guess you will, there was some really, there was a bunch of changes that had happened that I had to kind of grapple with and wrestle with and get my head wrapped around these competing values. And there are people that, you know, you, you see it all the time. Now the hashtag public landowner, you know, whole movement um, where their value is literally going on public ground and outperforming you. Right. Doesn't matter if they kill a, a, a one and a half year old or a two and a half year old four by four next to the trailhead. Ha ha. I killed it before you, or I was able to kill something in that public land and you didn't. But here's where I challenge you on that slightly. Right. I agree with you, but at the same token, someone who says, Oh, it's about the journey and the experience and the relationships and the memories. Why are they the first person or people to post 16 pictures of the same elk that they shot or deer that they shot to for everybody to see, because if that doesn't matter, why is that the, the highlight of you, somebody's social media threat or, or page, right? Do you, do you want me to go ahead and say it? So, so I, I mean, this is your channel. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll be the sacrificial. I'll, I'll follow the story. The reason why is because a lot of people that say it's about the family, it's about the experience about the, is because they're poor hunters. Well, I think that that's part of it for sure. It's, it is. And I say that, I say that, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. I don't. Why? Because I've seen a ton of those same people, whether I've helped them, other people have helped them or whatever. All of a sudden they have a different level of performance on the landscape as far as being able to kill stuff or more consistently, or understand what's going on, and their friends are, their their family is, they start to see a level of accept, a, a, a better level of success, and they've been able to elevate their game, and then all of a sudden, you can see that value set shift a little bit. So they're, they're wrapping their hands around the best memory of their experience right now. 
It's not, it's, and I, and I say that, I said that harshly just because it, 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 it's kind of funny, but that's the reality. Everybody's starting somewhere. Everybody has a different value set and you're absolutely right, brother. There's a lot of people that will camouflage stuff just to deflect, just to make them and trust me that the world of, of social media these days is just vicious. It's simultaneously one of the best things we've ever had and the worst thing that we've ever had. I agree with you. And it's something that I, I struggle with it every day because it's the, uh, Hey, I need a post. I've got multiple businesses and I've got, you know, yeah. things that I need to be able to promote. And, and if, if you're not continuing to evolve, you're no longer relevant, right? If you're not continuing to, uh, yeah. but at the same token, I still have that <clears throat> inner value set that it's like, I'm not going to jeopardize or compromise who I am for, the gram, right? I, I just, it's one of those things. Am I happy to po- to kill something and post something? 100%. I, I've done it since day one, but I've never changed from that. And it's one of those things that, that second short book that I wrote, it's in there. I am trying to become the top 1%. I'm not there. I, I'm consistently successful, but I'm not successful every time, you know? So, I challenge myself every time I pick up my bow. I challenge myself every time I go out in the field. I challenge myself every opportunity I get, like you said, when you got that tag in your hand. And it's and for no other reason that that's just the type of person that I am. Whether I kill something or not, yeah. it doesn't define me. Whether I post something on social media or not, it doesn't define me. You know. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think that it is. it's troubling to see certain directions that people go through go paths that they go down i should say with social yeah. with the spotlight of social mm-hmm. media and the good hunter not so good hunter thing hey we we've all had unsuccessful oh yeah yeah, yeah. hunts right and i again i i will fully i i say that harshly no but we all started we all start at different places and we're all going to progress at different levels and we are going to move some people will move through different levels of hunting experience and hunting values. Other people don't look, let's, let's take Aaron Snyder for a minute. Okay. Um, if we first take a step back and we, let's look at fishing. You know, if, if someone is, is into fishing, when you get somebody started in fishing, if you're a beginner fisherman, you just want to catch fish. Sure. You just want to catch. It doesn't matter if you're catching Creek chubs or you're catching largemouth bass or trout it doesn't matter. You just want to catch fish, whatever fish it is. I want to catch, but I want to catch a lot of them. I just want, bam, 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 bam. I want to catch a lot of them. At some point, some people will then shift and say, okay, now I want to catch a big fish. And I want to go after the biggest fish that I can find. Maybe it's a different subspecies or a species of fish or whatever, but I want to catch a big fish. And then maybe that person becomes successful at catching a big fish. And then some people will move beyond that and say, you know what? I want to, I want to, I want to, I want a challenging fishing experience. I'm going to pick up fly fishing or I want to do a different, more challenging experience in fish. And then some people will move beyond that and then say, you know what? I just want to kick back and just relax and enjoy because they've been successful across their life, their fishing career to where they don't have anything else to prove. And so they just want to sit back and be like, yeah, I'm, you know, Maybe I'll teach or maybe I'll bring other people in or, or I'll, I'll start to give back or whatever. Each one of those different phases, some people, some of us 
will move through each and every one of those phases. Other people will just stop at a phase. And it's the same thing with hunting. So when I say, when I sound critical about other people, I, I, I do that now tongue in cheek and lovingly understanding that everybody's in a different place. Everybody has a different value set. And if we take Aaron, for example, <laughs> I love him to death, but how much crap did I used to give him? Because the guy can go anywhere on the mountain. Physically, he can go anywhere on the mountain. He can go for weeks at a time and he can go fast, efficient. I mean, the guy is good, sure. physically fit, strong. That is what he does, lives in the mountains. So he has zero limitation on getting himself wherever there could be a large bull elk, a, a you know, older age class animal or whatever. And every single year he'd come back with this, you know, four by five, little five, dig five by five, shoot it like on the first day or second day. I'm just like, you're in one of the best, you know, he'd draw a unit or a good, you know, limited draw tag or something. I'm like, you're in one of the best units. And what are you doing? Like, what? He just, he loved he just loved to fling arrows. He just liked to kill yeah. stuff. So he was kind of like that fisherman that just liked to catch a lot of fish. He he got he was just stuck in the I want to catch a lot of fish. He, I just want to kill a lot of crap, and I don't I don't need to move to that next level because yeah. that's what he enjoys to do. And there's a lot of hunters that are like that. Then there's those ones that'll take that next step. The thing that we all have to realize in social media. And this is what I talked about on the podcast that you listen to. And I hope it came across. We were on so many rabbit holes. Um, I don't care now. I, I might. And I, and, and if I was critical in the past, I, I ask for people's forgiveness because I didn't appreciate things probably the way I should have, what way I do now and way I probably should have. I just wasn't mentally mature at that point of, of to the, in, in this topic, but as long as a person is portraying themselves, their experiences, you'd say success, but it are if they are portraying themselves in a genuine manner, I don't care what you do. Sure. And I will I will high five you go for it. You want to hunt a high fence ranch? Okay. I don't care. I don't care. I don't, we can have a, we can have a discussion about disease and all sorts of, that's fine. I don't care. But if a person is going to hunt on a high fence ranch and he's going to, he or she is going to portray that honestly and genuinely. Okay. If, if you are a person that has killed one big elk in your life and you are proud of that thing and you are just going to post that picture every other day for the rest of your life. Okay, just we we all understand, but it, be genuine about <laughs> what you're doing. I think people get in trouble and the conflicts start to arise. And what I really had a tr I was struggling with um, previous to this. I I am in a world we we are in a world where we know personally we know a lot of these celebrities and social media influencers. We know them. We've grown up with right. them. We have history with them. We know where they hunt. They may hunt around us or next to us <clears> or in the same unit. 
and we know the truth of what is going on in their life. And then we look at their social media page and we're like, that, that never happened. Yeah. What, what you just said there never happened. That's the same deer that you brought by my house and you told me the story and now you're on social media saying, you, what? That's fraud. That's fraud. And I think that's where people start getting tripped up. I mean, goodness gracious. And, and again, it's not just, it's just, it. did you see uh, the latest celeb guy that got pinched for uh, wanton waste poaching a deer or bait, illegal baiting in, what was it? Um, you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that? I, I have not, no. <clears throat> oh my gosh. I just, it, it just blank. It'll come to me. Um, very prominent uh, outdoor channel or, or sportsman channel TV personality, deer hunting, and had a camera crew and, yep, got nailed. His The two people that he hired and was working with had them go out and illegally bait a field. He goes out and shoots the deer, gets it all on film, drags the thing over in the ditch and walks away. Oh, shit. I'm dead serious. I mean, and and the, you, they posted the the basically the the arrest log, the 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 police report on it. And I mean, the the guy the guy's done. I mean, it, as far as he's dead to rights, there there is no. I mean, he may plead something out, but yeah. it, it it's done because I mean, he, when the officer finds, I mean, these guys have it on video. The the cameraman's videoing it, and the guy he hired to put the bait out was like, "Yeah, that happened." Mm-hmm. So. And then when the officer interviewed him, he was like, okay, yeah, well, because he tried to lie about it first. And the officer's like, listen, I've got the pictures. Here's the deer. Here's what it is here. Here's where it's laying. We can go out there right now. And he's like, oh yeah, well, I made, I made some stupid decisions. I I made some bad decisions, but dude, what are we doing? What are we doing for what, for what? Well, and that's where, I don't know, man. I mean, it's like I said, not, and I'm with you. I don't, I don't care of the, um, it, it, we, I'm with you. If somebody wants to shoot every doe that walks in front of them, if it's legal and they have a tag for it, I don't care. I don't yeah. keep score. You know what I mean? I don't keep score with other people, I should say. That's not I, – I try to be – especially, it, you know, with, with what we teach. Like when we do our all-day workshops, for example, one of the fir- – the first 10 or 15 minutes is about goals, you know, why we're here and expectations. And I'm just telling people – and I specifically bring up social media. I said, we are under a spotlight as hunters, because of social media. So I'm not telling you what to post and what not to post. I'm telling you, you know, just take an extra second before you hit, you know, upload or publish (laughs) to make sure that you know that this is going to live there forever. Whether, you know, you can delete it, but somebody's going to screenshot it, repost or whatever, you know. So just make sure that what you're doing, you're going to be able to live with, not just today, maybe you're going to be a father or a mother in five or 10 years. And what about when your kids see that, you know, if it's something that's just not smart. So if somebody wants to post the success pictures multiple times, I just brought it up from the standpoint of when people say, I enjoy the journey. I enjoy the process. And again, I wrote it in my book. The thing with bow hunters is we are, we get to enjoy the journey, which is as good sometimes as the kill. We get to we have the best end of the stick. It's like I also put in there. It's like if you're going on vacation and you say we're going to go to Disneyland, we're going to go to California. 
Who wants to talk about the freaking 14-hour drive to get there? Nobody. The journey sucks. You know what I mean? It's once you get there and you get to experience everything, and then you're back sitting in a car driving home where, you know, it's hot and sweaty. You don't have no room to move. You get tired and cramped. That part sucks, man. You know what I mean? So as bow hunters, not I'm not touching you. Quit touching me. I'm right? not touching you. <laughs> and I remember those those road trips as kids. But what I'm saying is, with as bow hunters, we get to enjoy the journey. It's great. I mean, the scenery, the 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 preparation, everything you get to do. It's there's so many things to enjoy. But you're right. When you got that tag in your pocket, and you do, you are successful on that. It makes it all the more worth it. Yeah, and that, and I think that's the, that's the important part. And and I I don't want. By the way, everybody watching and listening to this, he just said, "Hey, you want to you want to want to sit on and, and chew the fat?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, why not?" And here we are. We just dive in head first, sailors dive off into the cesspool of, of whatever it is. Um, but let, let me let me let me just say this, okay? From what you do with alpha bow hunting and what I do with the education stuff and the behavior and the calling and strategies and stuff, I made that comment earlier about the people that you know latch onto it's the family time and the friends and that okay and i said that i have seen numerous times where as they were able to get better you know they're more successful or more efficient in their calling and they have a a, a different level of experience on the landscape you can see that progression and and you can see that value set shift what i think and and i've been spending a lot of time Trying to spend trying to spend time listening to people that are a hell of a lot smarter than I am and a lot better than I am, and, and I've been spending a lot of time listening to Dr. Jordan Peterson, and he's got so many good life, just just on just incredible things to to chew on. And one thing that I kind of realized that's part of I think what we see on social media, and I think what we see in these competing value sets is it does not matter where you are in the spectrum of all the different value sets that can be out there and the, the spectrum of what your performance level is, whether it's calling elk, calling turkeys, white tail strategy, or whether we're talking about going and pulling a bow back and standing on a line and executing a perfect shot. It doesn't matter where we are in the spectrum of our abilities and our values. I think the issue problems arise when people within their, you know, military, military guys, you know, we're in our lane. We just, we just want to stay in our lane and just, we just know if we talk about staying in our lane, wherever we are in our lane, if we are not fulfilling our, whether it's subconscious or conscious, if we're not fulfilling our goals or what we would like to see in that lane. We're not reaching our potential at that moment. We're unfulfilled. And sure. some people can use that as a motivating factor. Other people use it as a discouraging factor. There are some people that say, okay, I'm going to look at that next level up. I'm going to look over to you you are that you, whatever it is, I look at you and you are that next level up. There are some people that are going to go, I am going to watch you and I'm going to learn from you and I'm going to do everything I can. And I'm going to pull you in. I'm going to try to, I want to learn. 
and I, I want to be there and how I want to engage you and I, I want to have I want to be you. And then there's other people, unfortunately, say, I can't be you. So screw you. I'm going to tear you down. Yep. And I think if people can understand wherever you are on that spectrum, if you can work towards maximizing your potential, whether it's shooting a bow, whether it's calling an elk, killing turkeys, whatever, if you can maximize your abilities and your potential wherever you are, I can tell you, you will end up, I'm almost positive that every single person will end up feeling more fulfilled and you become less worried about other people and you're eager for that next step. And I think, you know, your alpha bow hunting helps people do that with the archery, the shooting and just breaking it down to where, okay, how do we be that next step better within our world? You don't sure. have to be you don't have to be the next John Dudley. No. Okay? That's fine. He's awesome. Great. Go do, if you want to be him, shoot for the stars and go. But guess what? Even John Dudley started way down here at some point and he had to take those steps. So just take those steps and be the best that you can be and do yourself the favor of just trying to try to surround yourself with people that can help you be the best that you can be wherever you are and help you on that journey to be more fulfilled in whatever task and endeavor that you're trying to get through. So I'm going to go ahead and cut that episode right there. I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, this conversation obviously does continue with between Chris and I, and we actually dive into the topic of low energy bows and or low energy setups, I should say and how to maximize their efficiency. So this will be, the continuation of this will be on the members-only section uh, under alphabowhunting.com. We're still in the works with that member-only section, but this, again, this content will live there. So we appreciate you checking out another episode of To The Point, and we'll see you guys all soon.